0: Right, so in Genesis chapter 7, uh, we're going to look at a couple, this message is going to cover a couple different things tonight. First off, we are going to look at why the lost deny the great flood. That's going to kind of be the main idea of this chapter, uh, the main thing we ought to get from this chapter. The lost, I mean, vehemently deny the fact that there was a global flood. And there is a very good reason for that. And uh, they get very triggered by, you know, the bringing up the great flood of Noah's day, and they get very triggered by all the evidence that is constantly found globally of a global flood, and there's there's a real good reason for that. But another thing we're going to do in this chapter too, as we go through it, uh, we're going to look at um, what the Bible, or what I guess the, there's a lot of typology that gets associated with the story of Noah and the flood. There's a lot of parallels people draw some that are biblical some that are just completely not biblical but it's just a no the story of and the flood it's a really easy go-to that people like to use to just use symbolism for things you know they'll talk about how Noah and uh, his family they're a picture of the Jews and they go through the flood because the Jews go through tribulation but it's like all right well you're going to have to find show me evidence that that's what God's trying to teach us here because I could go turn around and say no Noah and his family is a picture of the church and the church goes through the flood because they go through tribulation. But then somebody else could come along and say, well, no, because it's a picture of the church and the ark was above the water, above the tribulation. You know, so the thing is, we could all play games with that and everybody does. But the thing is, the Bible actually tells us that the flood is a picture of some things. And so we're going to see what those are. Because that's one of the things I want to do as we go through the book of Genesis is show how there's a lot of stuff in Genesis that we get our doctrine from. That the New Testament bases the doctrines that we believe off of principles that we see in the book of Genesis. And we want to focus on those. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1. And it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come now and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So notice that it was because he was righteous that he made it in the ark, and not because of the pure bloodline. God did not mention the pure bloodline there. And uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7, uh, we see Noah is mentioned in the hall of faith. It says, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, like rain, they had never seen rain before, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So, we see here very clearly that Noah, he had such great faith, he believed that something was going to come that had never come before. You know, most of us, if God came and told us, hey, I'm going to flood Rock Falls, we believe it because we've had so much rain around here, all right? Or if he came and said, yeah, I'm going to flood your church, you know, we would believe that because that's, it's not an uncommon thing. But imagine living in a world where it had never rained before, and God yet said, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood, I'm going to have it rain on the earth, and Noah believed God. And... Right there is the example of his faith. He believed God, and he was seen as righteous, and so God spared him and his family. And so in verse 2, and notice this, all right? I'm going to show you something that's going to, this will trigger dispensationalists right here. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of a beast that are not clean, by two, the male and his female. Of the fowls of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. Now let me ask you, Which animals were clean and which ones were unclean. You ever thought about that? Because in the dispensational world, okay, whenever we read about a law given or something later, that kind of creates this new dispensation, according to them, right? You know, we have the dispensation of human government that's getting ready to come after the flood because we see God institute the death penalty. But wait a minute. Are we sure they didn't already have a death penalty that they had gotten away from? Because remember Cain said, after he killed his brother, everyone that finds me is going to want to slay me. Why? Because I think they even understood back, we don't see that in the Bible. Well, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't tell us everything that God told man during those first 1,656 years. God doesn't tell us everything that he revealed to Enoch and do I think it only makes sense to say that the same things, the same laws that God would have given to Moses, He would have given to Enoch too. He would have given to Adam too. The same, the, He would have given them the same things. Why? Because He's the same God. And if they were good in Moses' day, they were good in Noah's day too. So notice, God tells Moses, you take seven of the clean beasts. And and why, why seven? I don't know. My opinion, maybe because... They were going to need to eat those later on. You know, food was probably, and, and vegetation was going to be pretty scarce on the earth after the flood. And so they need to have more of those animals because, one, they need to multiply, two, you know, like all the other animals do. But then, two, they might need to eat them. And a lot of people say, too, that they didn't start eating meat until after the flood. Well, are you sure about that? Okay, are we sure? Because we saw how Cain and his line, you know, they were take, they were keeping cattle. I doubt they were keeping them for pets. Okay, they could have been using them for work and things like that too. I I, I don't know for sure, but we can't just assume that they that you know things that aren't mentioned until later in the Bible or the laws are for example that they didn't have these things already before the flood. We can't just assume that, yet dispensationalists must, because they always want to create new dispensations so they can do what they call rightly dividing. But <clears throat> that's just false. There was clean and unclean animals before the flood. That's a fact. So uh, dispensationalists can go jump in a lake. But anyway, first, So I um, uh, lost my spot. Verse 4. So says, For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him, and Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark, because of the waters of the flood, of the clean beast, and of the beasts that are not clean, and of the fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth, they were in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. So notice, this is a miracle right here too, just all these animals coming into the ark. You know, This is just obviously a miracle that God did. There's no way they could have just went and captured all those things. No, they, two by two, they're going into the ark, male and female. And it came, in verse 10, it came to pass after seven days, that the waters of the flood were upon the earth in the 600 year of Noah's life in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open. So notice too this right here, and this is important to understand this because people like to throw this in my face when they want to talk about weird stuff, but they'll talk about this as being literal. Okay. As far as the windows of heaven being opened up. And all of a sudden, you know, water coming from heaven where God dwells. Okay. That's not what it's saying. All right. I'm going to prove it to you. Okay. For one, you know, what's something we need to understand too? Before the flood, they've never seen rain, right? So let me ask you, if it had never rained before, what did the sky look like then? You know, it probably looked a little different. Okay. I mean, I, I definitely think. That would have affected things. Obviously, the atmospheric conditions would have been different. So we can't just assume that we know exactly what things would have looked like in the sky, with clouds. We we, we don't know. It had never rained anywhere on the earth. It says in uh, Genesis 2, verse 5, it says, "...in every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, from the for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground." But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. We don't see that today, do we? But it was something that went back then. There was like a mist that would come up from the ground. It's like water came from the ground. Like there was water underneath the you know, surface of the earth that would keep things watered. But it's not coming from the sky. Okay, now, I don't know much about, you know, I'm not a meteorologist. I don't, I don't know about a lot of that stuff, all right? But think about what it probably looked like to them when it started happening. I do remember one time, just out there past the interstate, we were um driving out that way, and it was so cool there was like this perfectly round opening in the sky where you could see rain coming down. It was just like in this one spot it was real hazy out and it was just like a perfect circle it was real it was it was really neat looking, and it looked like the windows of heaven were open I mean it was know, it was just it, it was pretty neat but when the Bible talks about the windows of heaven being open, remember heaven is not always heaven where God dwells; it's the sky. Okay, the sky was opened. Okay, there was an opening in the sky, and water came down, kind of like we saw that one day. So it's like clouds everywhere, but then there was like this one round opening, is what it looked like, and you could like it was it was really neat looking. I wish I'd have taken a picture of it. But look what it says in Malachi three ten. Sometimes when the Bible talks about the windows of heaven being open too, it is just kind of a figurative statement. It says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now here with, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there should not be room enough to receive it. Okay? Now listen, I have tithed my entire life, and I've received a lot of blessings, but they never fell from the sky. Okay. I, I can tell you that Malachi three ten is true. I, I believe Malachi three ten. I believe that God has opened the windows of heaven and poured me out a blessing, but it didn't fall from the sky. Okay. I, I that that never happened. So sometimes things are are used figuratively. Okay? You know, like for saying the sky is falling or something like that. I mean, how does the sky fall? Okay, you know, it's just you know, things things are used figuratively, but people like to get weird with stuff like that. And so, uh, you know at the end of the day we don't know what things look like before the flood. Okay? It's just it's just referring to because if it's never rained before and then all of a sudden stuff is coming from the sky. You know, what would you think? Especially when we see in Genesis one that, you know, the sky is referred to as the heaven. So you know, we don't need to get weird about that. It just started raining. Things changed on the earth and it changed to pretty much what it's like now. And now rain is a very common occurrence you know 40 days and 40 nights not common but this was a this was an extreme thing and so what things were like before is it's only theory okay the canopy of water theory okay nobody knows that that's what it was okay some people believe it was the canopy of water that created an atmospheric condition where people could live longer some people think it was just genetic god changed things genetically because we see noah and Shem living hundreds of years after the flood, but yet we see people dying much earlier. So the thing is, if it was the atmosphere that was killing them, then how come Shem and Noah didn't die real quick? And I believe it's because things change. God changed things genetically, is what I think personally happened. But at the end of the day, I don't know either. So what did God change genetically? I don't know. I don't know much about genetics either. So I'm just I'm just telling you. We don't want to go making up weird scientific assumptions about things based on something that we're reading in these, uh, these stories in the Bible. At the end of the day, the Bible's not trying to explain genetics to us, even though it's called Genesis. All right? Gen- genetics. All right, you know, it, it, That's not what it's trying to do. It's trying to tell us what God did. It's, it's telling us a story. So it says in verse 12, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and in the self same day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark, and they they and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark. Two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded them. And the Lord shut him in. Notice, no same-sex couples. Just thought I'd throw that in there just to, just to make gays feel left out again. All right? and forgive me for calling them gays. All right, Sodomites, anyway. Verse 17, And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. And all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creeped upon the earth. And every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, and all that was in the dry land died. All right, and so this verse right here, this is for those who want to get technical about what an animal is. All right, because notice what it says in verse twenty-three or um, in verse twenty or twenty-one. It says, "And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both the fowl of cattle and of beasts, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils." was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land. Right, why, why do you bring that up? Because people try to say, "Oh, well, they didn't have to of every animal because a whale's an animal." You know, they'll bring up these water animals and then they just try to get technical and say the Bible's wrong. Okay, and don't you love it too when once again, sometimes the Bible's just telling us a story and it's, you know, it's just it's laying things out to to get a message across and then people want to go ultra literal with a verse And then they just, and it's just being stupid, all right, is all there is to it. But this is for those people who just want to get ignorant, all right, who just want to be contentious. So it was all the animals, things that were on dry land, things that have to be on dry land to survive. I understand that a whale is an animal, but put him on dry land and he's going to die. Okay, so that's just for them, for the hyper-literalists that just... Uh, want, uh, want to just use whatever they can to make the Bible look wrong in some areas. It's not. So it says in verse 23, And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping thing and the fowl of heaven. And, and they that were destroyed from the earth and Noah only remained alive and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. All right. So now the story of Noah, it's a very straightforward. It's a very simple story. Okay. this is a story. Every kid who's ever ever gone to Sunday school has heard the story of Noah and the Ark. You know, every nursery in a church has like a Noah's Ark theme. Okay, why? Because you know every kid loves animals, and you know what better story about animals is there in the Bible than the story of Noah and the flood? So you know, we we all know this story. Okay, but when it's time to preach it to adults, it's like the preacher feels like I got to kick it up a notch. All right. I can't just tell the story because everybody already knows this story. So I've got to pull some, you know, deep doctrine out of this. Alright? And because I gotta prove that I'm smart. Okay? And so what what do they do? They often go to typology and things. And I'm not against typology. Okay? I'm not against typology, but I do think it's you need to be careful with it because you can make typology into whatever you want. Okay? Anybody can make. I mean, if, if you you want to use typology, you can teach whatever weird doctrine you want. And trust me, people do it. Okay, typology. I think it's okay to use it as a preacher. One, I think if the Bible specifically mentions it, all right, like the allegory of Isaac and Ishmael that Paul used, that Paul said this is an allegory. I, hey, go for it. If Paul did it, we can do it too. And that's the one that the Baptists all want to avoid. Okay? The one time we see allegory in the Bible. <clears throat> but at the same time, too, you know, if you want to use it to get a point across to illustrate something, I think it's fine, but it needs to be based on things that we know for sure are true. Okay? So the thing is, we don't want to base our doctrine on typology, but yet that is often the go-to for people especially in the pre-trib world. In the pre-trib world, they are dependent on typology. Okay? And in the in <clears throat> the you know people who think the Jews are still the chosen people, they use a lot of weird typology. I'll show you some great examples of that as we go through Genesis where they do they're just they're taking it too far, but we shouldn't use the prove doctrine, but it can be icing on the cake. Okay? But if the Bible uses it, if the Bible uses these things as a picture, then for sure, let's use it all day long. And the Bible uses Noah's flood as a picture of things. The New Testament will specifically refer to this and say, this is the lesson that we're supposed to learn from it. Man, let's get that. Okay, let's get that before we figure out, you know, who the people in the ark represent. Is it the church or is it the Jews? Okay, let's find out what the Bible actually teaches. On that, So what pictures does the New Testament use from the story of Noah and the flood? Well, let's go over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Now, this is one that's constantly brought up, but just completely butchered. If people would actually take the time to use biblical commentary instead of reading books by nut job Christian authors, they they would do fine. Now, I've never and I want to be careful saying stuff about this because I've never read the book. But I've heard about it, okay? I've heard people talk about it, but somebody wrote a book about as in the days of Noah. It was, it was like a famous book everybody was talking about. And I don't know that this is where all this came from, but, um, you know, what a lot of people have done, and I've heard Baptist preachers do this, they'll talk about as it was in the days of Noah, and I think it came from this book. I could be wrong on that because I never read the book. But I've heard many Baptist preachers preach that when the Bible says as it was in the days of Noah... Well, we got to go to Genesis six to find out how it was in the days of Noah. Nephilim, angels, you know, cross, you know, you know, crossbreeding with humans. That's going to be going on again, you know. And then they'll tell you about these secret laboratories that the government's got where they're doing hybrids between humans and animals and all these things. And then it's just then they just get into all kinds of weird stuff and freak people out. it's super messed up. It's very, it's 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 wicked. Once again, these when you when you don't have the spirit of God, you know what you have to do. You got to be a good storyteller. You got to tell Jewish fables. Okay, these, the reason people preach this stuff like that, they don't have the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not in their preaching, so they got to do that. Otherwise, the people are going to be bored to tears. And I wish I could get up and tell you all stories like that, because that'd be cool. I mean, you'd all you all be interested in it. I was talking about some secret government laboratory where they're, they've got some angels hidden out there and they've been you know, testing these things out and they've got these giants that you know, they're hiding they don't want you to know about. And I wish I could tell you stories like that, folks. I really do, but I've got to preach the truth. But let's let's see what the Bible says. Matthew, what does what this in the days of Noah mean? And, and you all know this. I've preached it before. Well, let's be reminded of it. It says in verse 37, "...but as it was in the days of Noah." so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, you know what? As it was in the days of Noah, they were living 900 years. So this is proof that before Jesus comes back, we're going to be living 900 years again. That's how it was in the days of Noah. So do we just get to take whatever we want? You know, as it was in the days of Noah, it never rained upon the earth. There's not going to be any rain. There's going to be a mist coming up. That's how it was in the days of Noah. If you believe your King James Bible, that's what you've got to believe. Is that what we're supposed to do? We just get to take whatever we want from the days of Noah or should we take what the writer of the Bible what Jesus yes. is saying let's take what Jesus is saying instead of just whatever we want from Noah's days. there was 450 foot giants in Noah's day we're going to see just knock it off alright look what it says for as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark okay well, we're doing that right now. It, but we've always been doing that. So what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. I, and I believe we get more clarity into what it means in Luke 17, verse 26, same story. And it came, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Here's what it was in the days of Noah means. The day Noah got in the ark, judgment came. The day we get raptured out of here, judgment comes. The day. Okay? Not after three and a half, not so bad years of tribulation. No. God's wrath falls the day. Okay? What time exactly? How about a half hour? There is a the silence in heaven space about a half an hour? Why? God's giving everybody a chance to get freaked out after they see him in the clouds. After we get raptured out, after the sun is dark and the moon's turned to blood, everybody's staring in the sky, waiting for what's about to come, saying, hide us from him, that sits upon the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. And after they get good and freaked out after about 30 minutes, the fire and brimstone's going to fall. Just like in the days of Noah, after they went in the ark and God closed the door, that same day, the rain fell judgment fell that's what that means verse 28 likewise also as it was in the days of lot they did eat they drank they bought they sold they planted they built but the same day the same day that lot went out of sodom it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all even thus shall it be in the day when the son of man is revealed that's what as in the days of noah means Every one of these preachers that are out there that when they say as in the days of Noah and they start talking about Nephilim and they start talking about just all this weird stuff, mark it down. They're not studying their Bible. They're reading books written by other men and they are ignorant. They are trying to make the Olivet Discourse fit their theology is all there is to it. And they're trying to, they're gonna, and, and now we think we're going to trust them on typology when it comes to knowing the flood, they don't even know what the days of Noah means. And I did. I heard Brian Sharp one time preaching about these secret laboratories where they're like crossbreeding all these things. Okay, And, he's talk, and he did it in the context. I, think, I believe the sermon was called As in the Days of Noah. And I, I need to go find that one. But folks, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I just showed you what that means. There's no doubt about it. It's very clear. So the first picture we get from Noah's flood, as soon as God's people are delivered, judgment comes. That's and that's exactly what we believe when it comes to our end times belief and the timing of the rapture. Look at first Peter chapter three. Another thing about the flood, it is a picture of baptism into Christ. Look at verse because a lot of times people say, oh, it's a picture of salvation. Getting in the flood is a picture of salvation. Well, let's, let's focus on what the Bible uses it as a picture of. Because Noah was already saved before the flood. Y'all realize that, don't you? Oh, uh, yeah, but he was saved by water. Well, wait a minute. Okay, he was physically saved by the ark. Okay? He physically saved his family. His family was physically saved by the ark. Yes. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord long before the flood. Okay? Noah was already saved spiritually, but his family was saved. He was physically saved. And so the ark is not a picture of salvation, it's a picture of baptism into Christ. Okay? Which you could if you want to say it's kind of a picture of salvation you can, but let's look at what it says in 1 Peter three twelve. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins." The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure, whereunto he Even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto them. All right, so notice here he's talking to them about, as Christians, how it's important that, you know, if you're going to suffer, let it be for good. Don't suffer for wrong. Okay, people are going to speak evil of you. They're going to speak of you as of an evildoer. But you know what? You want, you want to have a good conscience towards Christ. You want to have, we want to have a good testimony, right? Is that not our desire as Christians? To have a good testimony? We believe that we're saved and that we're, we have eternal security. But do we not tell Christians, don't go out there taking advantage of the grace of God? Don't go doing evil that grace may abound. That's a really bad testimony. If we do that, we don't want to make Christ look bad we want to have a good conscience and it's it's better that if we're going to suffer that it's for doing good and not for doing evil and then it goes on to mention how christ hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust that's us the unjust okay that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit So, what he, what, what it's teaching right here, the ark is a picture of Christ, and it was the ark that went through the flood. Okay? But those inside the ark were safe inside, weren't they? Okay, so in reality, you know, people say, well, it's the Jews because they go through tribulation. They're the ones that go through tribulation. Well, no, it was the ark that went through the tribulation there. It was the ark that went through the judgment of God. Okay? But knowing and his family, they were safe inside. They were protected. Jesus Christ suffered the just for the unjust. Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross, didn't he? Jesus Christ experienced the wrath of God. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Okay, And all that he did on the cross, his suffering on the cross, his death, Right? his death, his death that he experienced for three days, these things are the wrath of God that Jesus experienced for us. Jesus tasted death for us. Jesus went through all these things. Did you and I have to suffer and die on a cross? Did you and I have to taste of death? Did we have to spend, it, do we have to spend any time in hell at all? No. Jesus Christ did that for us, and the Bible teaches that we as believers are in Christ. So notice Jesus went through the wrath of God. I think you could say that the ark is a picture of Christ in in many ways. And so Noah and his family, they didn't go through the wrath of God. They didn't suffer the wrath of God. They were protected through the wrath of God because they were safe inside the ark. We are protected from the wrath of God because we are safe inside of Jesus Christ. So we have righteousness today, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ went through On the cross, we get credited for his righteousness. We have imputed righteousness, not because what we have endured, but because we are safe in Christ. And just like Noah and his family. So Jesus made it through God's judgment. Jesus went through God's judgment. He endured all of it. But all those outside of the ark or outside of Jesus Christ, they won't survive the wrath of God. They won't. But all those who are inside Christ, who are in Christ, will. So that's what we're seeing here. That's what's being taught here in Peter. And so that's why it brings up baptism, because baptism, it's not always just about water baptism, Okay? because the water baptism, it is a picture of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of his death, burial and resurrection. And that baptism in the water that we do, it does not put away the filth of the flesh, But it is an answer of a good conscience towards God. But the Bible teaches also that we are baptized in Christ. So, in in other words, you know, we are safe in, in Him. Okay? Everything, when it comes to us going to heaven, it's all about what Jesus did. It is not about what we did. So, right there, biblically, that's what you could say it's a picture of. You could say the ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. You could say that the flood. Is a picture of baptism, but not so much our baptism that we did, but Jesus Christ's baptism. Does that all make sense? All right, and so that's what we see. <clears throat> that's that's how, what we see Peter how he used it. So another thing, look at Second Peter chapter two, and verse four. <clears throat> because right here, this is the, the main reason. That the world is trying so hard to discredit the idea of a global flood, and it—it's amazing the things that are out there that prove a flood. I mean, have you ever watched? Have you ever watched the documentaries on underwater pyramids? I mean, there's like—you should go look it up. i I, I couldn't believe I saw this years ago. There's like pyramids that they found that are just completely underwater. Now, where'd that come from? I mean, huge. It's like they don't like to talk about these things, <clears throat> but they're out there. They're, they're so, there's so much evidence all over this planet of a global flood. You know, they find fossils on mountains for crying out loud. I, you know, and and what's, what's their answer for that? Billions and billions of years. You know, those, they just go back billions of years. It's a safe place you can run away to because, you know, you know we, what, what do we do to answer our thing? We just say, well, in the beginning, God. You know or it will bring up the great flood. But the thing is they just say billions and billions of years ago, okay? And we believe these things by faith, but they believe these things by faith too. Because okay? there is no evidence of billions of years. Now they would consider a fossil on a mountain ev- you know evidence of billions of years. Well because it would have taken billions of years of changes in the planet to have water of that. unless there was a global flood, if there's a global flood, then it makes a ton of sense. But they cannot, they cannot accept the fact of a global flood, and there's a very good reason for that. Okay, And the way scientists are today, unfortunately, it's the way a lot of the people are who are like against us. There's this dirtbag, I mean, just worthless clown, Robert Tuttle, that's been just writing tons of stuff against this movement. He's, he called Leslie Romero and recorded the conversation with her, harassing her. She didn't want to talk. He, he calls her up just to harass her, just trying to get anything so he can just, you know, get get attention. All right, the guy's just a dirtbag. He sent me an email several months ago asking a whole bunch of questions about our church. And it was clear this guy had the wrong idea about a lot of things. But I got the impression from the email he was, like, looking for... You know, he was trying to be legit, and it's like, hey, scrutinize us all you want. All right, you know, and so I answered all of his questions. I thought he was a guy legitimately looking to write articles about this movement, and I figured he probably wouldn't like us, but it seemed like he was going to try to be honest. And then I read some of the articles, and the guy is very dishonest. And it's very clear, this guy, what he did, he already decided that we were all corrupt, you know, that we all are you know doing illegal things financially. You know, he's he's already decided that we're doing all these things. So now what he's doing is he's going to try to find evidence. Okay? He had no evidence to make him think that. This is just what he thinks. I saw too I came across this video about just abuse in the IFB world. And I was reading comments on it. Some news organization put it out and Brian Dingdonger and Robert Tuttle both had left comments on there saying you need to investigate the new IFB. You know, there's just all these scandals. There. They're like telling them, based on what? And what do they want? They'll bring up Donnie Romero. But who broke the story on Donnie Romero? It wasn't Robert Tuttle. It wasn't Brian Denlinger. You know, it wasn't those guys. Guess who broke the story on that? It was Pastor Anderson who exposed him to the whole world. They like to forget about that little fact. They don't, you know, and this thing too, it's talking about coverups and everything, but these guys, no, they've already decided that we're all bad, we're doing things crooked, and now they're just out to find evidence, and, you know, and it's not working, okay? It's failing, but yet they're still claiming these things as truth with no evidence, okay? That's what dishonest, wicked people do. And it's the same thing that the world does when it comes to the flood. They have already decided billions and billions. Wait, shouldn't you be providing science for that first? Shouldn't you be providing some evidence for that? But yet, no, they've already just decided that's true. So what is it? It distorts their thinking. They see things in a different light. They see things in a different way. They have decided that the layers of earth that you see. You know they've already decided that those things represent millions of years each and so if they see a tree that's going through several million years of layers that doesn't disprove anything to them you know it it doesn't disprove anything that on mount saint helens you can see layers that were formed after that explosion took place that happened in a few months or even less maybe you know they just they just ignore all these things. Why? Because they've already decided what the outcome is, and yet, but they just reject it. And so, no matter what they find, they're still going to stick to the original thing that they decided. And what the scientific community is trying to figure out today or prove today is that there is no God. That's what they're trying to prove. And it doesn't matter that all the evidence is point counterwise. They are liars. Okay. They are scumbags. They are the type of people like Robert Tuttle is what they are. They're just in a different field. Okay, and look at what it says in Second Peter chapter two, in verse four, or um, yeah, 2 Peter two four. It says for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should after uh, should after live ungodly, and deliver just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. So notice that the flood is a reminder that God means business about judgment. Okay? If God didn't spare that old world, if God flooded them, remember God gave them 120 years and God came through just like God said. God said 120 years and you're dying with the flood and God did exactly what he said he was going to do. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the, God did that as an example to those that should after live ungodly. That way, because God knew there were going to be more Sodomites coming one of these days. And God wanted them to know, and God wanted everyone to know. They're gonna get what's coming to them. They will be judged. There's no reason for us to doubt that. Okay? It would be like if one of your children, alright, you know, you, you know, we've got a bunch of kids, if we go and we spanked one of our kids for doing something, and then the second kid does the same thing and he gets spanked for it, and the third kid does the same thing and they get spanked for it, when the fourth one comes along, Shouldn't they know you know I probably shouldn't do this or I'm going to get spanked. Shouldn't it be pretty obvious to them? And wouldn't you probably spank the fourth one a little harder? It's like did you not learn from your brothers and sisters? You all realize part of the reason of punishment is to warn everybody else. Smite the scorner and the simple will beware. All right that, That's why we do these things. You know why we do the death penalty? It's not to rehabilitate them. It's to warn everybody else. Don't kill people. You know, that, that's, that's why we have the death penalty. We're not trying to help those people. We're trying to help everybody else. When God destroyed the world, He wasn't trying to help them. He was trying to punish them. But it was a warning to everybody else. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't to help them. It was to make an example of them. Why? Because God's going to destroy the world again one of these days. And the flood is proof of that. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, because this here, right here, is one of the main messages. This is why people must deny that there was a global flood. It says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. "...that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, look at this, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men." Right there is why they are working so hard to deny a flood. Folks, if the world admits that there's a creation, then they've got to acknowledge the God who created the world. If they acknowledge a flood, then they have got to acknowledge the fact that God does judge the wicked. And if God, by His Word, destroyed the world with a flood, then that God, by the same word, is going to destroy this word, world by fire. And, I, and once again, I don't understand all this. I, I, I don't want to read into this too much. But it does say, you know, because, you know, the, and I don't understand all this either. But, you know, the Bible talks about the earth standing out of the water and in the water. All that water that came on the earth was from somewhere. Y'all understand that? It didn't just miraculously appear. From the windows of God's heaven. Okay? It was already there in the sky, and it came down on the earth. And it flooded the earth. And notice how, just like there was water ready to destroy this world, the Bible says, the but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept are kept in store. There's fire stored up. Okay, now what does that mean? I, I think it means whatever is going to burn this world up is out there somewhere well it's the you know ozone layer that we're destroying once that goes you know the earth earth's getting torched and okay maybe all right you know maybe it's that you know those radiation that's coming from the sun you know at the end of the day you know what's not causing the problem it's not fossil fuels it's not carbon emissions It's just that God, this planet, has an expiration date on it. And it's not because we're using too much fuel. No, it's because man is sinful. God has an appointed time. But unlike with the flood, where God told him 120 years, God hasn't told us how much time we have before this earth gets torched. But folks, Al Gore's right, man. This planet's going to melt. The polar ice caps are going to melt. But... There's nothing you can do to stop it, but you know what you can do? You can protect yourself from it. You can get into the ark. You can get into Christ. That's what you need to do. And that's right there why I believe that the ark is more of a picture of Christ. Because if we're going to be spared, if we're going to survive the fire that's coming on this earth, we must be saved. That's the only way that's the only way there was only one way to survive the flood and that was to get into Noah's ark you couldn't make you know I'm sure other people tried quickly making some kind of raft and getting something that would float I'm sure they probably had some boats somewhere on the earth during that time they probably tried those but those things didn't make it through. those things would have been destroyed and that only the ark made it and the only thing that will get you through the judgment that is coming is being in Christ and The flood is a reminder of that. And so just understand, when these scientists are out there, these people that are definitely smarter than you and have a higher IQ than you, but yet they reject the flood, just believe the Bible. They're willingly ignorant. They're ignoring it on purpose. They are are not true scientists. They're not looking at the evidence. They have adopted a religion called evolution. The theory. Of evolution, it's Darwinism is what they is the religion that they practice, and they are determined to make it fit however they have to, and they will deny all evidence, and they will deny the science, and that is wrong. The flood happened, and if they admit it, then they know the fire's coming too. We better get saved. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. These are bad people that are teaching this stuff and we need to try to get the truth to as many as we can so they can get in the ark so with that let's pray dear lord we thank you so much for your goodness to us i pray this message was a help and a blessing i pray you'll help us to uh spread the word about the judgment that's coming lord help let this flood be a reminder that uh just like you promised judgment before you've promised it again and help us uh realize that it is going to come and i pray we'll try to get our families into you and into the ark, and before it's too late, and our uh, our friends and all those around us. In your name we pray. Amen.